Welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. The following podcast is from the Sword of the Spirit Bible Conference. This is the first morning service of Saturday the 20th of February 2016, entitled The Danger of Desertion, and the Bible reading is taken from Revelation chapter 2, verses 1 to 5. Here's Pastor Brian Beaver. Revelation chapter 2, a lot of people have said, my, well, Revelation, I love studying eschatology. Uh, some of you Bible uh, college students, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, but we're not going to look at eschatology this morning. We're going to look at another topic. You know, if you look at the book of Revelation, a lot of people think that it's impossible to understand uh, and hard to figure out the book of Revelation, but it's very, very clear. There's a template or an, an outline for the book of Revelation. It's found in Revelation 1.19. Uh, Jesus spoke to, the, to, to John and he said, Write the things which thou hast seen, the things which are, and the things which shall be hereafter. There's past, present, and future. Revelation chapter 1 is the past. Revelation 2 and 3 is the present. Revelation 4 to 22 is the future. That's prophecy, eschatology. But if you look back to chapter number 2 is where I want to look at today. Chapter number 2, our Lord, the, the master of the lampstands, if you will, the, 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 the head of the church. And by the way, I've often told people you're a, you're a part of a local church. But you know what? The church really isn't ours. It's his. He's the head of the church. It's his church. Amen? Not our church. His church. And so what I want you to do today is look at what Jesus said to in particular church, uh, one by the name of Ephesus. I want you to look at chapter number 2 and verse number 1. It says, Under the angel of the church at Ephesus, write. By the way, the word Ephesus means desirable. Desirable. There were many things desirable about this church, but there was one thing that was detestable, and I'm going to look at it here in a minute. But I want you to look at what he says. Under the, church of the, uh, under the angel of the church at Ephesus, write, These things saith he that holdeth seven stars in his right hand. Aren't you glad you're held in the palm of God's hand? Amen. It says, Write these things that, that saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst or the middle of the seven golden candlesticks. He says, I know thy works, and thy labor, and thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them which are evil, and has tried them which say they are apostles, and are not, and has found them liars, and has borne, and has patience, and for my name's sake has labored, and has not fainted. Sounds pretty good, doesn't it? Sounds like a good church. But look at the next verse. He says, nevertheless, I have somewhat against you, because... Thou hast left thy first, what? Love. He didn't say you lost it. He said you left it. Now, by the way, young people, let me explain something about what eternal salvation means. Once you accept Christ as your Savior, you can never, ever get out from underneath that. If you have truly been born again, it is my settled conviction, not because of my opinion, but because of what the Word of God teaches. Jesus even said this, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand, for my Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man will be able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. And can I get an amen from God's people right there? Amen? But he didn't say he lost... You didn't lose your first love. You left it. And I want you to look at what he says next in verse 5. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen. Remember where you came from. And repent and do the first works, for, or else I will come unto thee quickly and remove the candlestick out of, thy, 
out of its place, except thou repent. Now, let me explain something. I want to talk to you this morning about the danger of desertion. The danger of desertion. Uh, I want you to look at verse number 2 again. Jesus speaks to the church in Ephesus, and by the way, this is a letter to a church, and all the Bible wasn't written to us, but it is written for us. Amen? And so this morning, I want you to understand that what Jesus said to the church at Ephesus is applicable and appropriated for today. And so Jesus said this statement. He said, I know thy works. By the way, I tried to say this the other, the other night to the church here at Bethel. It would be easier for you to try to hide a moving elephant with a postage stamp than to try to hide your sin from God. God knows you, amen? He knows your works. But by the way, he doesn't condemn the church. He commends the church. Look at what he does. I want to talk to you about the commendation. Look at what he says. He commends this church, and he says, I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience. Number one, he said, you know what you are? You're a diligent church. You know what the Bible says? Be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as you know, Jamie, that your labor, your work is not in vain in the Lord. If you do it for Jesus Christ, I promise you this. One of these days, hopefully, we'll hear the Lord say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Amen. So what I want you to understand is God commends this church for their diligence. Ephesians chapter 4 says, let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him what? Work. If you don't work, you don't eat. Now that's a, that is a hillbilly translation of what the scripture says, but I'm just telling you, if you don't work, you don't eat. A man that won't work is worse than an infidel. And by the way, guys, if you don't like to work, you know, I, I think your hands ought to look like you've worked, guys. All right? And if you, if you don't do anything, why don't you just go up against a cinder block wall and just rub your hands up and down for about 10 minutes, make it at least look like you do something, amen? But I think you ought to work. And Jesus here, Frazier, commends the church for being diligent. He says, I've known your work. I've known your labor. But then he says this, I've known your patience. He not only says you're a diligent church, but he said you're a disciplined church. Can I say this? I believe one of the tr greatest transgressions in our era of the church age is a lack of self-discipline. Well, preacher, I just can't get up at, I can't get up at 555 and study the Word of God. No, you can sleep until 655 and go to a 7 o'clock class with pillow head. You know what I'm talking about? Wrinkles all over your face. You know, put the hat on. Amen. <laughs> Dan. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> man, they just threw him under the bus. Amen. They just threw him right under it. But listen, the scripture says, I know your works, I know your labor, and I know your patience. Be a disciplined people. Be somebody that has self-discipline. By the way, if you don't have a time each day, and I really believe it ought to be in the morning. I've often said this, you don't put your armor on when you go to bed. You put your armor on when you get up in the morning and go out to battle. Amen? And so get up in the morning, spend a little time with Jesus, and be a disciplined Christian because we've got enough of, of a lack of discipline in our society today that says, what can, why should I do it today when I can put it off till tomorrow? Do it today. Be disciplined. He said, I know you work. I know you labor. I know your patience. You're a, you're a diligent church. You're a disciplined church. And then he even said this, you're a discerning church. Look at the last part of verse 2. 
And he said, you have tried them that say they are apostles and are not and have found them liars. He said, you know what? You've got some discernment. And I believe in this day and age in which we live, we need more than ever before, we need some young people with some discernment. You know what the Bible says in 1 John chapter 3? Try the spirits to see if they are of God. There's a lot of things that are done today in the name of God, and God, ain't a, He ain't nowhere around. You better be discerning, young people, in this day and age in which we live. But that's the commendation. That God, and I love the way the Holy Spirit of God does things. He'll, you know, and this is the way we ought to do with people. Listen, if there's a problem with somebody in your life, and you love them dearly, don't just chop them down at the beginning. Lift them up. Say, hey, you know, I love you, and you know, and then drop the bomb on them, okay? Yeah. God bless your heart, you know, boom, and it dropped a bomb right on them. You know, but, but that's what we ought to do. We ought to commend people. But you know what? Jesus commends the church and says, listen, I've known your work. I've known your labor. I've known your patience. I've even known your discernment. But he says in verse number, look at, look at verse number three. And has borne and has patience and has, for my name's sake, has labored and has not fainted. And then in verse four, he says, nevertheless, or however, I've got, a, I've got something against you. Because you left your first love. Now here's where he goes not from the he goes from the commendation to the condemnation. And he says, you know what? You've done a great job. You've been a good church. But can I tell you this? There's a lot of good churches that are right here today. There might be a young person that's right here today. And you know what? You've labored. You've, pay, you've been patient. You've even had some discernment. And you know what? You almost receive a pat on the back. But Jesus says, you know, the problem is, is that you left your first love. You're doing it. You know, there might be some young people here, and I don't know, I don't know where any of you live spiritually. I don't know. I haven't read your mail, okay? I don't know where you are at in your spiritual walk. But I can promise you right now, there's some people in here who's got the Martha syndrome. You know what I'm talking about? There were two sisters, Mary and Martha. Mary sat at the feet of Jesus, and Martha was in the kitchen serving and cooking breakfast, and she got angry because her sister was out there, not in there helping her. And some of you in here, you know what? You have labored. You've been patient. You've got discernment. But you know what? You're mad because all it is to you is an obligation. You've left your first love. You say, what, what does this word left means? It means to abandon. That's where I get my word desertion from. You know what? There is a term in the U.S. military. It might even be in the, in the British military. If you leave without anybody knowing where you're at, you're called AWOL, A-W-O-L, absent without leave. You had no reason. You didn't have any any signed paper to say you didn't have to come in and report to duty, but you've just left. And some of you know what you've done? You've checked out, and you might be here in body, but in spirit, you've done checked out, and you've, you've deserted. Now, this morning, I want to give you a few things because somebody is, and, and, and some of you that know me, and you've been here quite a few years in a row, you know how I am. I can't stand still. Never have been able to. I don't know if I'm ADD, ADHD. I might have all the DDs. I don't know. I even, they've even got one now called ODD. Do y'all know that? Oppositional Defiance Disorder. You know what I call it? Demon possessed. That's what I call it. Now you can say I've got ODD. I had a lady come to me one time and she said, I think my kid's got ODD. I said, what do you mean? I've never heard of ODD. 
To me, that, that spells odd. Amen. I thought, well, all my kids are odd too. Amen. Nathan's odd. I mean, everybody, you know, we're all odd. But she said, my kids got ODD. And I started asking and I asking about what's going on in this young person's life. And she said, well, they do this and they're defiant and all this. And I said, well, let me ask you a question, ma'am. How much time do you and your husband spend in prayer? Well, I was somehow sure. Okay, well, let me ask you something. How do you get along in the house in front of your kids? Well, we fight a little bit, a little bit. That was a lie. Found out from the kids, they fight every single minute of every day. There is division in the home. I looked at that mother and I said, you know what? I don't believe the problem's with your kid. I believe the problem's with you. Hey, be a good leader. Don't lead by saying, do what I do. Don't do what I do. Just do what I say. Be a leader by example. Don't leave your first love. I can't stand still. But you know what? I was walking, and, 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 and Nathan, I was walking in a, in, a, in a hotel room that I was staying in when I was preaching revival about a year and a half ago. And God, you know what? Here, and I'm saying, okay, Lord, if you leave your first love, what are the reasons that a person would leave? Why is it that there's sometimes in my heart I have left my first love? By the way, I'm not up here blowing smoke at you. I've happened, this has happened in my life. And if you're not careful, and by the way, you young people that go to Bible college, listen to me, listen to me well. One of the biggest, easiest places to backslide is doing the work of God at a Bible college. You want to know why? It's because you go into Bible college saying, okay, I'm taking six hours a day of Bible. I don't have to have a devotion time. That is a lie from the pit of hell. That's when you learn. You don't listen. Your devotion time is not when you're in eschatology class or general Bible introduction. Your, listen, your devotion time is when you spend time in relationship with the holy God of Israel. Amen? So listen, how do you leave your first love? Well, I want to give you a few things. I want you to write these down because you're going to have some questions to answer during your, your group time. And I want to give you some things today. I hope it'll be some, 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 some ammunition in your arsenal to help you get through life and not leave your first love. Don't be, don't be, don't be a deserter. Now, let me explain something. In the work of God, there's laborers and there's loafers. There's workers and there's shirkers. All right? We know it, don't we? Y'all remember the story about Elijah and Elisha? And they're walking down the road and they're talking. And you know what it said? As they were walking, there were 50 sons of the prophet that were on the other side of the Jordan River watching what was going to happen. And you know what I, I thought? That's a pretty good statistic or percentage of what's going on in the church today. You got two people doing something and 50 watching. You know what I'm talking about. And if you don't, young people, you better go ahead and just brace yourself because you're the future leadership of the church of Jesus Christ. You better go ahead and let me tell you something. It ain't an easy thing. It can be, listen to me, the ministry, the ministry, young people, can be hazardous to your health. And I'm going to mention a few things about that this week, this weekend. The ministry of Jesus Christ can be hazardous to your health if you don't do it with the right heart because some of you, if you're not careful, you're going to leave your first love. Give you a few things that will help you. How do you know when you've left your first love? Well, number one, you'll have a coolness toward the Savior. If you've left your first love, number one, it'll, it'll evidence itself this way. You'll have a coolness toward the Savior. Hey, listen, why did you come this weekend? Did you come just to have the fellowship with God's people? Did you come because you enjoyed the food? Did you come because you love to see a 
bald-headed, good-looking preacher? No, I'm just playing. Anyway, did you come? No. Did you come for any other reason but Jesus? you got to answer that question. Why did you come? Because, see, the coolness toward the Savior. By the way, our love for Jesus Christ ought to be, number one, concentrated. It ought to be consecrated. But number three, it ought to be communicated. All right? And let me explain something, young people. I was here in 2008 by myself. My wife was not here. Some of you were in that meeting. I remember studying that week, and I was in the upper room. I call it the upper room. That's, that's Amber's room. That's where I stay at Pastor Larry's house. And by the way, I love that man. I love his family. Thank God for their hospitality. Hey, listen, he's that way 24-7. He'll take, he'll, he'll take the coat off his back and give it to you. All right? That's just the way they are. Amber gives up her room every single time. Well, she's at uni now, growing up and everything, but she gives her room up to us every single year. I was, Jay, I was up in that room, and I was studying one, one afternoon, and it was almost like the Holy Spirit of God said, come into the room and just spoke right to me. And he said, Brian, he said, you know, you come over here and you do all this work, you preach all these meetings, and you're doing all this stuff for me. He said, but when are you going to spend time with me. See, I don't know where you're at, but I'm going to tell you right now, if you're not careful, first love, desertion, starts with a coolness toward the Savior. It starts that way. What about, what about you this morning? Have you left your first love? Let me ask you, what is your relationship like with the God of heaven? I was preaching a meeting in West Virginia now, if you don't know anything about our, the United States of America, West Virginia, their license plate says wild and wonderful. It is every bit of that. <laughs> Amen. It place is crazy. When you drive there, you can literally see the back of your car when you go around a turn. It is that sharp. I mean, there are places up there. It's crazy. But I was preaching a little church in, uh, called Bell Creek Missionary Baptist Church in Dixie, West Virginia. And when I got in the prayer room before, like we did this morning, we prayed collectively before the service. I walked into this room. I got on my knees, Nathan, and as I was praying, an old farmer came in a little bit later than I did. He was 87 years of age. He's still alive today. When I first started preaching there, he was 87. He's 93 right now. Still wears his bib overalls, still works out on the farm, on the tractor. And he came in and he sat right down beside of me and he began to pray out loud, Frazier. And you know what? This man's been saved for 65 years. And this is what he prayed. Oh God, make me more like you today. 65 years old in the Lord and he's still praying God make me like you. I don't want my relationship with God to get calloused and cold and rigid and brittle like most believers. It's, listen, get, they get saved, they get sanctified, they get satisfied, and then they get stagnant and sit in a pew for the rest of their life and don't do a thing for God. Don't have a coolness. Listen, the thing that it starts with is a coolness toward the Savior. But I want you to look at something else. Not only a coolness toward the Savior, but there'll be a callousness toward sin. Not only a coolness toward the Savior, you'll get cold spiritually with your time with Jesus Christ, but there'll be a callousness toward sin. Let me explain something, young people. There'll be a time in your life, if you're not careful, where you'll tolerate sin... And then, you know what it leads to? It leads to taking part in sin. You know what I never, I don't have any, 
The only people I, that have a problem with, with alcohol when I preach about it is drunks. <laughs> the only people that have a problem when I preach about money is the people that steal from God. The only people that's going to have a problem with this message today is people who's left their first love. Maybe you're there. You get mad at the preacher. You get mad at what God said. Hey, listen, you know what? I, I had a guy tell me one time, he said, if the phone's ringing, pick it up. If God's calling your number, you better answer the phone. You'll have a callousness towards sin. Can I say this? Me and my wife, when we were dating, I was raised on a dairy farm. And uh, you don't have to drive too long before you get into our community and you notice there's a very, very odiferous smell, if I can say that. All right, there is a very, very, and it's not a fragrance, it's an odor. All right? Now listen, when you grow up around it, it don't bother you. The, the smell of cow manure don't bother you when you grow up around it. My wife, when she began to date me, I took her to my home to meet my parents, and we got about five miles from the house. She said, what in the world is that smell? And you know what I said, Dan? I said, what smell? <laughs> I didn't smell it no more. I'd been around it so long. You know what the problem is? Some of us, we get so used to, because of media, because of the world we live in, we get so used to sin that we make fun of what nailed Jesus to the cross. If you're not careful, you'll get a callousness towards sin. I'll never forget this. I was driving, used to go to Bible college, and right near the college was a little filling station, and right outside of it was a dumpster. There would... I don't know if it was just a local place to dump stuff, but I'm telling you, every single week for months we would drive by that place, and I told my wife, why isn't anybody picking this trash up? There was trash. It was overflowing the dumpster, the bin. And I went inside, and I said, ma'am, is anybody going to come and pick his trash up out here? It's unsightly, and it's a bad testimony. She said, what trash? See, she had gotten so used to seeing it, didn't bother her anymore. If you're not careful, young people, the way you know you've left your first love is number one, there'll be a coolness toward the Savior, but number two, there'll be a callousness toward sin. Stuff that bothered you 10 years ago won't even bother you now. You know what I'm talking about. But not only that, but let me move on. Number one, there'll be a coolness toward the Savior. Number two, there'll be a callousness toward sin. But number three, there'll be a contentedness with self. Here's what you'll say. You'll be in an invitation time. The Word of God's been preached. The Holy Spirit of God's been tugging at your heart. You know what you say? I'm okay compared to her. Well, listen, if that message was for me, I know it was for him. Because he's a wicked guy. You know, the problem is when you point your finger at somebody, you got three pointing back at you. You ever notice that? You gotta be careful. The Bible says, let him that saith he stand take heed lest he fall. You're never too tall, and some of you will remember this. I've said this before. You're never too tall that you cannot fall. There's been preachers that, listen, Nathan's dad and I have ministered for and even been friends with who no longer are in the ministry because they thought they were too big and it would never happen to them. You better say, but by the grace of God, there go I. Amen. It could be me. It could be you. And if you say it'll never happen to you, you'll probably be the next casualty if you don't guard yourself. <clears throat> number one, there'll be a coolness toward the Savior. Number two, there'll be a callousness toward sin. But number three, there'll be a contentedness with self. You ever had the Holy Spirit of God convict you so bad and you just go, oh, okay, I'm okay. I'm okay. You might be okay. 
but you'll never experience revival of that kind of attitude. You might be okay, but okay ain't going to cut it. Okay don't bring revival. It's when you go like David did and said, God, restore to me the joy of thy salvation and uphold me with thy free spirit. Then will I teach transgressors your ways and sinners will be converted unto thee. You know what the problem is? The reason why we can't win anybody to Christ is because we ain't had the joy of his salvation restored unto us. Amen? Are you contented with where you're at? Because I can promise you right now, if you're contented with your spiritual walk, you're in sin. You ought not ever get content. Paul wasn't content. He wanted to know, he said that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings, be made conformable unto his death. He said, I want to know him more. If Paul could say that, my soul, how we ought to say that. So number three, young people, they'll be a contented, a contented, contented, yeah, that word, with self. It's early. Y'all pray for me, all right? Y'all get me up at nine o'clock and be preaching to y'all. I believe it. But listen, they'll be a contented with, with self. You'll be content. I'll never forget when I was in about the sixth grade. I don't know if y'all ever had this happen to you. I don't know if they even do this anymore, but when the school systems in, in America... When you get a report card every three months, you have to take it home and have it signed by your parents. I'm going to be honest with you. I got on the bus one day and we got our report cards. And they gave it to me, Jay, and we got on the bus and I looked and they always have a comment box on the back from the teacher. I turned the card over and I read something that was a horror to me. It was a horror. <laughs> the, 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 the box on the back said, Brian's actions do not promote trust. You want to know why it scared me? Because the next person I was going to see was my daddy, and I had to give him that card. And I knew, listen, my dad was like an FBI agent. If there was something that I had done in my life, he'd bring me in a room, he'd put the light on me, and he'd say, what did you do, son? And I knew exactly what was going on. If I could have gone to any other country, Romania, Siberia, anywhere else, I would have gone. But I, got, I was on that bus, and I was in captivity, and I was going to my house, and they were going to let me off to the to the warden, if you will. Amen? And so I walked in the house. I gave the report card to my dad. My dad turned it over. He read that. He looked at me and he went, what does that mean? You know what I had to say? I had to say, Dad, I'm sorry. I said, I cheated on a test. I cheated. He said, well, you know what we got to do? We've got to go over to the teacher's office and we've got to stand before her and you're going to have to apologize. And whatever result happens, Brian, that's the consequences of what you've done wrong. But you're going to make it right. I went into that teacher's office, Nathan. I sat down and I looked at Miss Medlin and I said, Miss Medlin, I am so sorry because my actions don't promote trust. I cheated on that test and I'm sorry. She looked at me and went, what test are you talking about? I went, what are you talking about? She said, I didn't write that on the back of your report card because you cheated on a test. I went, are you kidding me? <laughs> she said, I thought you was one of them boys that was spitting spit was at the chalkboard. I went, man, I just confessed all this and I didn't have to. You know what? I learned a valuable lesson that day. I learned a valuable lesson. Honesty is always the best policy. And by the way, let me explain something to you. 
when it's an invitation time and the Holy Spirit of God spoke to your heart and He has specifically touched an area of your life, God ain't going to forgive excuses. Did you hear me? God ain't going to forgive excuses. You can go, well, I'm telling you, it's just my, it's just my, it's my divisive home. It's my dysfunctional family. It's their fault. It's no, God, it's me. Don't have, listen, don't be content with yourself. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that you may be exalted in due time. So number one, there was a commendation. Number two, there was a condemnation. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against you because you've left your first love. He says, this is what happens when you have desertion. When you leave your first love, the first thing that will happen is you'll have a coolness toward the Savior. Number two, you'll have a callousness toward sin. Number three, you'll be content with self. But number four, and i got to be done. This is, one of the greatest, this is one of the greatest evidences that you've left your first love is you'll have a carelessness toward souls. You say, preacher, what do you mean? You'll get so busy with all of your stuff all the things that you're doing, all of those great things that entertain you that you'll forget about the people that you rub shoulders with and bump arms with every single day in a classroom, at work, in your family that are going to bust hell wide open because you've got a carelessness toward souls. I said it last night. When... When are you going to get outside of your comfort zone and start talking to people about the Lord Jesus Christ? Because if you don't, who's going to do it? Let me ask you, who's going to do it if you don't do it? You think it's going to be, you think it's going to be the casual Christian that comes on Easter, Easter Sunday and Christmas morning? You think it's going to be them that's going to tell somebody about Jesus? No, it's going to be somebody that's, listen, on fire for God, who has not left their first love, who don't have a coolness toward the Savior, who's not callous toward sin, and who's not content with just being okay. And when you don't, listen, when you have left your first love, the fourth evidence is will be you'll be careless toward souls. I know a young man back in the late 90s who had a friend who was, I don't know, he was just, he was one of those fellows that was a good old boy, but he wasn't saved. And the young man said, you know what? I was so busy with my own life. I was so busy with all the other cares of this world. I was so busy with entertainment that I didn't witness and I didn't talk to my friend. And this gentleman said that the young man had a farming accident and went off into eternity and never got a chance. He went to his pastor and he said, Pastor, what do I do? And the pastor says, ain't nothing you can do. He's gone. He said, but you can preach to the ones that are behind, left behind. You can preach to the living. You say, whatever happened to that young man? You looking at him this morning. Because I was careless. One of my friends went off into eternity and I never got to talk to him about Christ. Because I was so entrenched in what I wanted to do and left my first love. You say, preacher, is there any hope? Yeah. Look at verse number five. He talks about a commendation. He talks about a condemnation. But number three, he talks about a correction. How do you correct it if you've left your first love? Well, first of all, he says, remember. Remember from whence you've fallen. You know what the problem is? 
A lot of y'all can only live in your past. You can't learn from it. If you live in your past, you'll never learn from it. Leave the past behind and learn from it. Amen? Remember where you fell from. Repent. The word repent doesn't mean to turn over a new leaf, take a 12-step program or something like that. It means to change your mind about your sin. It's a, it's a, it's a word that's lost in our society today is repent. Repent means to agree with God that your callousness and your coolness and your being content with where you're at is S-I-N. Repent. And then he says repeat. You say, what's that mean? Repeat the first works. So he said, remember, repent, and repeat. What do you repeat? Can I tell you something, young people? And I'm just, I know some of y'all hadn't sinned in probably 15 years, but I have. I literally was in a, in a meeting back in November, and I was, on the, I was on the platform, Jay, and thank God we had 28 people saved that week. Two of them were the song leaders. I preached on the rapture. Those two walked out. I just thought they was coming for prayer. They come to the front and said, we need to be saved. The floodgates opened up. Maybe you're the door that will open up for revival to happen at this, week, this meeting this weekend. Man, I'm going to tell you right now, Nathan, it was Tuesday night. I'm up on the platform, and I'd been so entrenched in study and in, prepare, in preparation that I'd even, I didn't even listen to the song service and how the music was to minister in my heart. You know what? I got down off the platform while they were singing a special after I didn't even know what the last three songs were. And I got down. I said, God, forgive me. I need to go back and repeat. You remember when you first got saved? You remember that? You remember how everything was just so awesome? But now you've been saved and it's all just about the same. You know, you can sing. You don't even need a hymn book now. You can sing every verse of every song and even think about what you're going to buy at Tesco or down at Costco while you're singing the song and you forget about what you're singing. And if you're not careful, you will leave your first love, the one that died for you. My question to you this morning is this. Are you in danger of desertion? Are you in danger because you know what? There is hope. You can correct it if you'll remember, if you'll repent, and you'll repeat. Hey, listen. Fall in love with Jesus every single day all over again. You know what I pray every time I get in the pulpit? And then we're going to go to our question time. You know what I pray, Frazier? God, if you don't ever use me again, use me today. Let's pray. Father, as we go into this time, in our group session, Lord, I pray that you just open the minds and the hearts of the young people, help them to be honest and open. Lord, we can't fight what we ain't willing to face. And Lord, we can't heal what we can't feel. And so God, you're going to have to maybe take some scabs off of wounds and you're going to have to open hearts and help us to be real because that's what you want. You don't want fake Christians. You want real people that serve you and love you with a whole heart. So God, I pray that you'd help us not to be in danger of desertion. And God, speak. And Lord, we know that you commended the church, you condemned the church, but you said this is correction. And we've got to remember, we've got to repent, we've got to repeat. And Lord, help us to do that work with you today.
In Jesus' name, amen.